0: You are tuned in to the Paris Passages podcast. Thank you so much for letting my show be part of your podcast library. Now here is your hostess with the most mess, Samantha Parrish. Hello and welcome back to the show. I am your one and only hostess, Samantha Parrish. Thank you so much for pressing play on this particular part of the show because you are in for the second episode of my three-part series called Inside Glorious Inc., And you're wondering, what in the hell is Inglorious Inc.? Well, if you are new, I will go ahead and explain it. That is a book that I wrote. It is one of the parts of this series that I talk about is my works as an author. As I am still fresh to the game, I am working on the sequel of the book as much as my creativity will let me, but also making sure that it is going to be a badass, bold sequel to my first book. In the first episode of Inside and Glorious Inc it was all about the references as to why I specifically had various references for the characters and that it wasn't just throwing out movie references for the sake of throwing out movie references despite the fact that I am a movie buff and it's who I am and it's something, and it's a part of me. And with this second part of the series I want to talk about the parts that I'm very proud that I made for Inglorious Inc. There are three moments that stick out that I loved how I proved myself as a better writer than I thought I was and moments that I poured out into a very personal topic and also testing myself to see what I can create. This is something that I know is different than what people create. I'm not the best writer around, but I am very proud of the way that my work turned out even though I went through many revisions and it was two years of hard work and I'm glad that *Inglorious Inc. became my first book that I could be able to find myself as the storyteller that I know I can be and then seeing that I did become the storyteller that I wanted to be. I just didn't know it yet and I found that with *Inglorious Inc. But before I get into talking about my proudest moments I want to explain why I wanted to do this episode. It's something that I want to take the time to talk about because it's something I was thinking about when I was writing this episode. Whenever I read a book, or I watch a movie, or I read a comic book, I read the entire material and I assess to know what my favorite parts were. But then I switched gears after I became a writer and I wanted to know what... The whole purpose of the creator's content was. What was their favorite part of the book? What was something that meant a lot to them to put into there that maybe the readers won't know that they actually read the most important part of the book and didn't know it? There are people that probably read my book and don't know the very material I'm about to say is actually the most important parts of the book because of the personal reflection and how much it meant to me in an emotional and personal way. If you ever get the chance to go back and reread your favorite book or watch your favorite movie, look up the author and find out what their favorite part was and then go back and read your favorite story that they did. And then go and watch that movie or read that book or see that comic book. It really gives a higher level of respect to the creator to know what their part was. And now I'm about to share my three proudest moments of Inglorious Ink. So enjoy the second episode of Inside Inglorious Inc. The first proud moment of Inglorious Inc. was how I was able to explain depression. In chapter 10, there is a moment that came up about Cassie's struggle with depression. And it was never really mentioned throughout the book because some people hide their depression so well you just never know that someone has depression. There are a lot of comedians that do that. I was really good at doing that too. A lot of people did not know that I was depressed. And I actually was advised not to put depression into the book because it might be a terrible outcome to people wanting to buy my book that they wouldn't want to read something sad. But the way I went around it was a bit of a neutral way it had both sides of it of explaining but then also comforting in a way that wasn't demeaning or assuming to trying to help someone we don't know all the pieces because it is hard to talk to someone with depression you never know what they're going through and what the whole story is and as much as it's a tricky situation not to assume the entire problem has been fully understood This conversation in the dialogue between the characters Cassie and Ace, it stems from a real conversation that I had with a friend of mine in regards to my depression episodes. It also has to do with My Name is Earl, and I'm definitely going to explain how in the world My Name is Earl has to do with a depression conversation. It'll make sense, trust me. So to set the stage, the character Cassie has a breaking point. And it has not been mentioned that she has depression because some people, like Cassie, are very good at covering up their emotions and they don't really share what's been going on. That's the same thing with me too. I didn't really want to talk about my problems and I'll admit I still have a hard time talking about my problems because I don't know how to explain it. In Cassie's case, it's a big study of depression of when everything finally comes a breaking point, looking at the way her character is from what has been known for 10 chapters. She can't get missy-eyed on the job, so if she has a problem, she has to just suck it up. She also has to deal with the box job, and she's also the first line of defense because of people that come to attack the shop because of the box business. She works harder than any other person in Inglorious Inc., And she's not entirely appreciated for what she goes through. She's very grateful, but she also knows she's getting screwed. Cassie also dealt with this in her previous job. She was forced to hold back her emotions for professionalism. And as much as she wanted to tell her parents, hey, can you come help me? That was not the case. They took their job more seriously than their own daughter's mental health. Years go by. And it gets tougher for her to have to deal with her depression. It's even tougher on another level where she has jewels, but she can't tell her best friend everything out of that whole conditioning of being told, you can't tell people your problems, you just got to deal with it. And with Cassie never really helping out her mental health, it breaks to her here and there. Lou came to witness that and took her out of the shop and they went on a errand run for the day that still pertained to some of their illegal jobs that they do for the box job. After Lou talks to some of the affiliates and by the affiliates, I mean, these characters are drug dealers. Cassie waits in the car and she has to wait until everyone's out of sight. And she just breaks down into tears again. And that's something that I wanted to put in there because sometimes when people are upset with depression, depression, one bout of waterworks just isn't enough. There might be multiple breakdowns until everything is finally dried up in the eyes. That deluxe waterworks package just doesn't really show signs of stopping until it stops on its own. It's a hard thing to have to go through. And even though Cassie has Jules, even though Cassie has Jules, she still doesn't want to heavily rely upon him for comfort every single time and she wants to handle the stuff on her own. But like with right now, with her crying in the car, she's not handling it very well. Here is where the saving grace comes in. Is that the character Ace did not go inside. And he noticed something was going on with Cassie. And he comes to the car, to her window, asks her to roll it down. And he asks, what's going on? And she breaks down in tears. And she can't really say anything I'm going to read the passage of how Ace comforts Cassie from her breakdown. This is where My Name is Earl comes in. Ace clenched his teeth and pressed his lips together as he tried to find something he could say that wasn't generic comforting terms and avoided saying any apologies because that never worked for him and he didn't want to do that to Cassie. I hate my job, Ace. I really do. Ace hated it for her, too. For as long as he's known Cassie, he's known about these depression moments from Jules. Ace had his own battle with depression from his soldier days from dealing with PTSD and how lonely it can get to suffer within your own mind and fight yourself on your own self-scrutiny. You know, I'm starting to think that Jules was right about this one thing that I hate to admit. What's that? Cassie asked as she stared out with a unfocused vision. That life is basically like the show My Name is Earl, but instead of marking things off, it just keeps adding on there. I don't think Earl got all that shit done, did he? Cassie huffed out a laugh. No. No, he didn't. Ace scoffed. Ugh. Fucking Earl. No matter what, the show got canceled. But then again, Earl doesn't have the ability to find absolute masterpieces of bad horror films, or be able to do celebrity impressions, or annoy his best friend. Or sing. Fuck. I forgot that Earl can't sing and I'm glad I don't know what it sounds like because I'm sure it would sound better and worse than the Stone Tacos. That got a laugh out of Cassie and it brought her voice back up a couple of decibels. In that moment, I love the the balance it has, that it's also comforting and very neutral and very respectful. And I'm going to explain how that conversation derives from real life. A couple years ago, I was not having a good time. I was in a coffee shop for a Wednesday open mic night and a couple years ago I was immensely struggling with my depression. It was getting to a couple of breaking points and I hit one particular breaking point that was in my mind that had me very terrified about my future. I was pretty good at being invisible And hiding my face so no one would ever know that I was sad because you know like I said earlier I was really good at hiding my depression from people and putting up a face so no one would know but even sitting there with tears down my face it was awful and I kept hoping that none of my friends would come find me because I didn't know how to explain it my friend Mal found me and he sat down and just wanted to know like well what's going on what's wrong and I told him what was going on in my head and how scared I was about my future. Mal had completely understood where I was coming from and listened to all the parts of what was going on with my depression, and we just talked back and forth about depression, and he gave the most neutral comfort that wasn't something that was sugarcoating, but it also didn't feel like it was not comforting enough. It was just a perfect, mature way to help me get through a depressive episode. And then he mentioned, my name is Earl where he said, instead of taking things off that list, sometimes life is just adding things back on, which is true. And when I remembered what Mal said, I redid that part in the chapter to incorporate that moment. People have their different ways of defining a personal definition, and this one is very special because of how I was helped during a depression moment. I also hope that this moment helps someone get some relief from depression. It is just, it's awful to have to deal with that by yourself. I wanted to find a way to incorporate it in there, and I'm glad that it worked out the way it did, that this moment does live on forever. And Mal, if you're listening to this, you are a wonderful friend, and you are amazing, and thank you for what you did for me that day. I really appreciate it. Now on to a um, not-so-emotional section, but I would still say it's a tense section, and this is what I think my smartest moment that I did in *Glorious Inc.*, and we're going back into a chapter in chapter 9 which is called Preheat if someone had asked me what my favorite chapter was I would have said that it was chapter 6 because it's a fun chapter but in chapter 9 it deals with the problems that a character has with one another and it addresses it without a certain context and it's a balance of personal and professional mixed together and it shows you how this team really works to help each other, despite the fact that one of the rules in Inglorious Inc. is no personal problems. That rule does not hold up, as these members do what they can to help Bullet in the moment that's about to happen. So for this part, Bullet's mother comes to the shop. But there's a conflict between Bullet and her mother that is shown just in the way that they address each other. When Bullet's mother enters the shop, she says, "Hello, Eleanor." She doesn't say she never says her nickname Ellie, not even Bullet, it is Eleanor. The big full name, and sometimes a full name can either mean praise or you're in trouble, and it to me by Bullet's mother calling her Eleanor means she doesn't have any respect for Bullet's life that she doesn't want to see her as someone else. Some parents, it's kind of touch and go. Sometimes they still want to call their child by the name they knew them as, as, as opposed to what their child wants to be known as. But then here's the other side of it, too, is that Bullet doesn't even call her own mother, mom, mother, madre, anything. She just says, hello, Claire. But with the way that these two address each other, with Bullet taking away the word mom from Claire, it shows how much Bullet doesn't even love her own mother. She won't even give her the word. It does sound very disrespectful. It sounds very rebellious. But then it goes a step further into the context as to how Bullet's sister, Bonnie, is addressed. Claire, the mother, won't even say Bonnie's name as Claire mentions. Your sister is thinking of trying again. She says, your sister, not my daughter, not Bonnie, your sister. Like she won't even claim Bonnie as her own daughter, even though it's her biological daughter. There's so much tension in this family and it's just oozing from it just by the context of how they address each other. And then Bullet equally gets pissed by saying, she has a name, you know, you should call her that sometime. Throughout the entire part of the chapter, it's obvious that Claire doesn't want to be there. She hates the fact that Bullet has become a lesbian, that she works in a tattoo shop. It doesn't fit her image. She keeps looking around the whole place, even though her daughter's worked there for five years. She should get used to it by now, but she won't. Claire is probably the most disgusting mother I've ever made for a book, even though this is my first book I don't know if my other mom characters can top Claire. She is a very twisted matriarch character. And it obviously shows that she likes things a certain way. And she's not getting it her way because she has a daughter who's a lesbian that works in a tattoo shop. And she has another daughter that she doesn't care for at all, even though Bonnie did nothing wrong. It's a very awful, finicky way that some mothers can be. The whole conversation shows this isn't the first time that they've had a conversation like this and, it all, and it's awful that it won't be the last. There's no holding back on either side that Bullet is not going to let go of the way she's been hurt by her mother and Claire won't even try to understand her own daughter. It's one of those mother-daughter relationships that just will be a non-existent mother-daughter relationship. When you get the chance to read it, The word mother isn't even mentioned in the narration. Only one time when Bullet motions to a tattoo she has on her middle finger that says, Mom, which as well also further establishes how much she hates her mother by having the word mom in a place that is very obscene. It's a very raw, rebellious thing to do, and... It is terrible that some people like Bullet do go through this where all they want is to just be at peace and go through their life. And there's some people that continually have to point out what they don't like about their transformation, even though it shouldn't matter to that other person. It's not their life, but it's awful and it happens. So in this whole contextualized chapter, that's the moment I realized as a writer that you can use whatever words you want, but if there's one word that's never said, It makes the statement stronger, and it poses the question as to what's going on. From the beginning, you wonder, well, what the hell happened that made Bullet hate her mother so much that she won't even call her mother? And how come Claire is so awful to her own children? It's the first appearance of a parent. It's a awful first appearance of a parent. So I like to go ahead and take a step down from that and go on to another part. (laughs) Or the last part to mention is in the chapter seven called Animals. All the snippets that we were seen was observed through Lance, and then the truth is, and then the truth is discovered in chapters four and five, and the story finally progresses to see how it really works when Lance isn't in the dark and seeing him for how he works with the team and how he really has to play his cards right now that he's going into the illegal part of the business and he's also still partially in the dark because he's working with people that constantly go behind each other's back. It has been mentioned prominently in chapters two and six, and now finally in seven, you really get to see how these people don't really work well with each other and Lance has to work with them. Now here is where the chapter means a lot to me for this one moment and it has to do with, with revealing some of Lance's backstory. This is a big chapter for Lance, probably the biggest. The focus is on Lance in the mid part of the chapter where he is on a box job with another character named Gavin Gibson. And it's been mentioned that Lance went to prison, but what did he learn in prison? And I don't think, and there's no way that Lance was able to just learn that on his own. Someone had to have taught him how to knock someone out in a second. That is where this part comes in. And that is where one of my proud moments of the book was creating the character Old Ron in Lance's memories. Old Ron is the character that taught Lance everything. Even though you only get a couple of lines, Old Ron is established as someone that Lance trusts and someone that wanted to protect Lance no matter what. He didn't just see Lance as some kid that he could use as a pawn. This was someone that he wanted to protect. Someone he thought of like a son. And Old Ron taught him how to fight. Old Ron is also the reason why the chapter is called Animals, because of the way he explains that it's a reverse process. People are like animals, and you have to outsmart the hunter. Usually the the saying is... The hunter has to go after the prey Instead it kind of makes a reverse thing And be like actually if you're the prey Then you have to become the predator But you can't let the hunter know That you are actually the predator Old Ron Is established within seconds He sounds like a rough tough cussing crusty man That takes no shit And lived to tell the tale of what he did But Then it also turns around to know that Anytime that old Ron is mentioned You know that old Ron is no longer alive I'm not really spoiling it for you because Lance spoils it for you within the whole paragraph. Old Ron was right, even though he's not alive to see Lance uphold that statement. So it's a man that will... is a character that isn't alive. And it's going to be only mentioned through memory for what he taught to Lance and the impact that he had on Lance. And this character is one of those powerful characters that does set the book for Lance's development as well as his origin. And as sad as it is, it's not really over for Old Ron, despite the fact that it's a character that is revealed he is no longer living. He still lives on in Lance's memory. And with everything that will be revealed about Lance, a lot more about Old Ron will be revealed with Lance's prison memories. So you'll be seeing a lot more of Old Ron. Believe me, I'm going to make sure of that. So that concludes the second episode of Inside Glorious Inc. I can't tell you how much I appreciate those that stayed to listen to this episode. This episode took a while to have it completed, even though this episode was supposed to be released back in August for my author anniversary month stuff had to happen, so this is an episode that is very late, but I'm happy to finally have it done, and then I'll be on the ball with the third and final episode for Inside and Glorious Inc., and that episode is going to be a preview about the second book. There are people that have bought my book locally, and they have been dying to know what's going to happen in the second book, and I can't have the second book released quite yet, but I can at least offer a little bit of a preview. So it's going to be an exclusive episode for a preview that's going to be on here before it's even printed into the book. That's going to be a very special episode. I'm already just getting excited thinking about it. It's going to be so great. Well, my fellow audience, thank you so much for listening. Have a great day and stay awesome. Bye-bye.